0: Welcome to the podcast, It May Interest You to Know. I'm Tony Marcolini. And again, I'm super excited today. I'm excited every time I start the podcast because I have such wonderful guests all the time. Uh, Today, I have an Emmy-nominated composer from Nashville and her uh, business partner. Uh, So welcome with me, Chevy Smith and Khalid Jones. Welcome. Hello, Tony. (laughs) Yeah. So you guys have exciting careers and I, I'm, I'm overwhelmed by the accomplishments uh, that both of you have achieved at such young ages. I, it almost at a loss as to where to begin. There was so much material to go through. But I think Chevy, I'm going to start with you. So let me take you back to your youth. I, I mean, I read something that you learned how to play the piano at four years old. Is that is that true? That is correct. Yeah, it wasn't.
1: um, I don't come from a family of maestros, but I I do come from a family of very disciplined uh, kind of you're going to do something, you know, try to be really good at it, you know, or at least as, as excellent as you can be. So, yeah, my parents were really big on the reading and music and notation is kind of another another language that they really Uh, they had all of us kids in quite young, and it was just something I just immediately loved, you know, I mean, it was, they didn't really have to have to badger me to practice or anything too much. So um, I don't think they had any idea that it was it was going to be any sort of profession um, or anything like that. And they never pushed that. But yeah, quite, quite early. I was grateful
0: for that later in life. (laughs) So a passion right away from when you're young. I mean, you're, you're, I mean, did it start off? Uh, can you remember, were you like listening to the radio a lot, singing Mm -hmm. along? Was it just like a passion that you were drawn to music? Or was there like a piano in the house and you were pecking away? I mean, it was definitely a bit of both. I grew up on a
1: farm um, in the middle of Kansas. And so really uh, there, you know, nature was a stimulation, but there wasn't a lot of media around, you know, we didn't have neighbors. It was just Really, uh, you know, my brothers and I would make up games and we would make up songs and it was really an entertain yourself sort of proposition. Um, and kind of in the spirit of that, my parents had, you know, we did have a piano. Um, there were guitars here and there. Uh, I remember listening to Dolly Parton, the Jolene record um, really sure. early and, and knowing that she wrote all of those songs. And then um, also pretty formative, the first concert that i ever went to my mother took me to was this songwriter named Matresa Berg who ended up kind of being like anything you heard on mid 90s to late 90s country radio was probably from a female was probably written by her and and from males like she was just a really prolific really profoundly influential songwriter which we had no idea. We just, I just saw her and just thought, oh, she made up these songs. This is this is what a person does. So I think I kind of lucked out that those impressions were my early impressions of of what you do with any sort of musical skill. And then I had a teacher. I had, um, you know, piano teachers the whole way through, but I had one piano teacher who pulled me aside when I was probably, I don't know, third or fourth grade, and she was like, you know, yo, like. I got lots of kids that like doing this, but you could really do this. Like you could do this at a world-class level. If this is what you would want to do, like you'd need to like hone in, but whatever, like it is like, you got it. And that was really all I needed to hear. I mean, I was like a religious convert at that point, like nothing else mattered. It's all I cared about. Um, And I would like ride around on my horse making up songs. And it was really this bucolic um, you know, like, I really couldn't have, couldn't have drawn a better ticket as childhoods go and as far as supportive family goes. And uh, yeah, by the time I was 14, I was kind of like dubbing cassettes back and forth, producing my own songs. and uh, So those you started writing.
0: Were- there comes a point in time where you're actually creating your own material.
1: Absolutely, yeah. It didn't really occur. I mean, it, it's just probably like simplicity more than anything, like, it didn't really occur to me that I would do other people's songs, because they'd done those songs, why would I do that, you know, I mean, I was, like, I this, love that. this thing where it wasn't, like, and and my my family didn't, they were supportive, but they never acted like it was extraordinary that I would, and they're, like, well, of course, you play things, you sing things, make things, like, what, you know, like, it, my my dad's a carpenter, and, like, you know, everybody kind of, like, make stuff. And so, uh, so yeah, so then those cassettes found their way to a really wonderful producer in New York. And I started going to the city um, when I was like 15. And
0: um, yeah, it, it's not it, it, to do a publishing deal, right? It comes a point
1: exactly, in. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. 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 Wow, so, that's major,
0: so you're like 14 signed to a major publishing deal.
1: I think by the I time mean, it all went through, I was like 16. But yeah, like I was, I was working on production deals at the time. And, um, and it was a little before, I mean, like none of this TikTok stuff, like American Idol had started. So it was, it was an interesting thing, you know, and my parents were very like, uh, interesting. Like when we look back, like they had me emancipate so that I could sign contracts because they're like, well, we're not signing you into contracts, you know, like, you you, want to do this, like, learn about it and do it yourself, um, and that part's been, you know, like, I couldn't have asked for better early training, you know, I mean, it, it's really, uh, I think that's one of the ways that, like, Khalid and I really connected, you know, as as business partners and just, like, like-minded individuals, is really that, like, self-starter, like, if you want something to exist, make it, you know, if you want to know about something, go study it, go read it, go learn about it, and, um, all through the way, like whether it's been in music, um, you know, producers I've worked with, and I've always ended up kind of pairing well with with other like really autonomous, self starter sort of curious people, you know.
0: Yeah, yeah, I'm not surprised. I I think you would you're kind of like a magnet. I think your uh, your just enthusiasm for creating is obvious, and I could see people being drawn easily to you. Well, thank you. So there comes a point in time where you create uh, Fort, is it Fort Posey? Am I pronouncing Forte, that?
1: Forte, yeah, Forte Posey, yeah. Forte so, Posey.
0: Mm-hmm. So can we talk about that a little bit? Absolutely, yeah. So I uh,
1: I did go hard when I was young and I toured a ton, uh, but, you know, like during my late teens, early twenties, I was playing like 250 shows a year at colleges and universities. And I mean, what a time to do it. Like I wanted to be out there. I wanted to, you know, it was it was really getting to see America and getting to see the world like at a real granular level, you know. It it I think and your it was, own
0: material, right? You're 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 absolutely forming your yeah. own material. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. That part still kind of stuns me that people like because I was uh, unknown. I mean I've I've always been unknown the whole way through. Like there was never some big break and it was never, you know, like uh yeah. kind of this critical mass. But for whatever reason, uh my agents were always really able to get these these shows that paid really well for me to go sing these songs that I'd made up. And um, so I did that really hard. Uh, and then the result was I'd been doing it about a decade and I was kind of burnt out and and wondered if there was more, you know, and, and wanted to kind of seg more into production perhaps. And I, I honestly just, I wanted to like live by a beach and, you know, maybe not be traveling all days of the year. And so uh, so, yes, yeah, so I moved to LA and um, ended up getting really inspired by working with younger writers, and so ended up starting kind of this lesson program uh, to teach guitar and piano, and I would just kind of like, I lived in this beach town, would just like skateboard around with my little like guitar and and work with these girls, Um, and then a curriculum kind of formed itself, and then that kind of grew into working with uh, in different Title One schools, doing these these songwriting programs, infusing poetry. Um, it's a super random and a long story, but basically, during my artist career, I went to Afghanistan and Iraq several times with the USO, and really, uh, really just developed such a like love and passion for Afghanistan and for the poetry of like contemporary Afghan poetry that was being written there, and got really involved in a program um, that was that was coordinating programs for that and so Forte Posey kind of ended up being this amalgamation of like bringing poetry from women there and and refugee projects and then having it like synthesized with student songwriters so Forte Posey kind of ended up being this whole um, songwriting factory if you will that like had a lot of uh of young people in it that were creating really cool stuff which kind of actually is how Khalid and I ended up working together because a lot of the the girls in that program got really really good and it was time to make legitimate recordings and and you know really try and and push whatever they were doing forward and encourage and support that and I knew that I didn't singularly have the business acumen or the resources or the you know, just the ingenuity to do that. And that's really how Khalid and I kind of paired up um, because he had so many great ideas on how we could launch this music out in the world and how we could do this artist development uh, company, which led directly into what we're doing now. So it's all been a, you know, one thing has tripwired the next for sure, which has been kind of a lovely, lovely life.
0: Well, what a worthwhile project! Uh, I mean, I think New York and right New York, California, and uh, the Canada maybe uh, picked up this uh, this curriculum uh, and started using it. Yeah,
1: yeah, we did it in London. (laughs) I mean,
0: it it was it was a really
1: special time. You know, it was um, it was just a it it definitely made me aware of how powerful and universal music is and that as much as we, you know, as much as sometimes it seems like a trivial part of society, I think, um, you know, art and the connectivity that comes through that is is so vital, you know, and uh, and it's not always from the most famous sources, you know. It's It was really heartening, like, just, it was so many, you know, kids and, and so many people who weren't doing it to become famous or to you know have any monetary success. It was just expression for expression's sake.
0: So. I couldn't agree more. I mean, I think creativity is such an important part of life. Uh, and, and I'm fascinated. We were talking a little bit before we went on, and I'm, I'm truly fascinated by the creative process. Um, actually, I have two questions, but I want to bring Khalid in a little bit. Do you, do you, do you yeah. remember meeting Chevy Khalid? Do you remember that first introduction?
2: it's definitely you know Chevy is someone who is an accomplished uh creative um and as me was someone who just loves music um and you know back back in the day um myself wrote music made songs and things like that not at the same level as Chevy as, as Chevy had but someone who's loved and loved the music um steeped in you know sort of the the history of hip hop in particular um Thought that there were there were like-mindedness and and, you know you even see you know probably for myself I think about when I hear Chevy's story I think the thing that drew me um to Chevy from a professional standpoint at the first instance is and you just heard the story um it's kind of personal ingenuity stick-to-itiveness belief in oneself um, and, and really going for it. And, and obviously you have that, you hear, you know, musicians and athletes and you, they, people, they get asked questions like, oh, you know, what was the thing that really pushed you forward? And they name all these other things, but they forget to mention that they had, you know, like world-class talent.
0: Well, let me ask you, I mean, you remember first meeting him, of course. Yeah. Yeah. So what was that like? I mean, he's an attorney and, a, and a, an expert in technology. Uh, right? yeah. So it seems more, almost, uh, the mindset seems to me a little different, right? Absolutely. Like it, than, than yours. So it seems like you might be a balance to each other, yes? You, you nailed it. And we couldn't have known that
1: when we first, you know, started kind of hatching some of these ideas. Like, in retrospect, that's one of the best things about our business dynamic is that um we really don't we agree on so much, but we don't overlap. And so I think we're able to like do the checks and balances thing really, really well. Um, But what I recall from the get-go was, A, recognizing like, oh, this is a creative who just went and became a Stanford-educated attorney. You know, like this um, this is not, none of his accomplishments in the business world like could, dampen the fact that he was a creative and that, I mean, this is, he speaks like a writer. You can just tell that there's just a, a command of language that, that isn't just all, you know, technical and bookish, that it, it's very like artistic. Um, I remember he used the word vestige, like early, like somewhere in one of our first conversations and I was like, ah, oh, that's such a good word, you know, and, and so it's that sort of thing. But I think the other, um, part that immediately kind of led us into the hey I need I need help putting together some shape of something business wise and like you be my first choice was that when we would talk about the mechanisms of the business and talk about like basically standard practices, he would always be like, but why? Why would you why would they do you know why is this standard this way? Like that makes no sense. And and when you get into the music industry, I think all of us within it really do uh, have that same, like we know the way that it's done maybe isn't right or maybe it's not the most logical, but because he had such uh, a, a wide array of business experience and also had been so highly successful in those areas. I mean, he, when we first met, he was one of the first, um, Owners of an esports team, you know, like really got in early on some of these ideas that that a lot of other business minds wouldn't see, you know, the potential and the upside and the execution too. So, so yeah, with him, it was like, a, I was like, well, this person's just just a writer in lawyers' clothes, you know, like this person, and also, and it shouldn't be like
2: that's the name of my next album.
1: I know, I know, no, but also (laughs) by by that age, I'd like. I mean, my attorneys throughout my life have been some of the most uh, interesting, eclectic people. Like, Rosemary Carroll was was my first attorney. And, I mean, she was, you know, part of the management g- group of Nirvana. And she had Patty Smith. And she, like, I, m- my attorney was a rock star, you know. And so I had this perception of, like, oh, like, this guy's, like, definitely a writer and a creative, but also he's been attorneying at the highest level. You don't go to Stanford Law School because you don't know what else to do with your life. You go because like you're, you're doing things at a certain level, you know, (laughs) and you're able to write and communicate at a certain level. So I think for me, that coupled with the innovative things he was doing and the way he questioned standard practices within the industry was like, yep, that's a comp- that person's my competitive edge. Let's do that, you know, sort of thing.
2: So for me, for me, Tony as well. It was a matter of looking at, you know, you, you always have a little bit of a nostalgic. I won't say regret, but nostalgia. Like, oh, maybe, maybe I could have done this, or maybe I could have done that. And then you look at, you know, the way that the world is progressing. You know, so I graduated college in the year 2000. We're in 2022 now. And so the idea for me when I was coming out of college and coming out of law school that I would be entering you know, a law firm in New York and saying, oh, by the way, I'm also this musician and, and you might be able to find my album someplace online. That was a dichotomy that really wasn't I, 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 certainly not externally acceptable at that time. And so you have this internal struggle. You fast forward two decades, you've got Antonio Delgado, who is a Harvard Law School graduate, a Rhodes Scholar, and he also released album. He also released rap albums before going to Congress in 2018. Um, and so, um, and unseating an incumbent Republican at the same time. So you, you, you've got and, you know, and he was, you know, 30, you know whatever, however young he was, you know, uh, those four years ago. Um, and he's slated to win re-election again. So the idea that someone from my era, the way, our way of expressing that if you got to a certain level is, well, maybe you can be part of it in a management capacity or an ownership capacity. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I'm happy to see that this generation is saying, no, you can be the creative and you can be the Harvard Law School guy and you can be the congressman if you wanted to. That kind of convergence of demographics and interests um, is really heartening to see and something that certainly we embody um, in a different kind of expression.
0: Well, I think that, I mean, to be anything successful and certainly, you know, to partner up with somebody you both have to have um, a vision, right? Like a vision that has to somehow align at some point. Uh, so when, when's the moment for the two of you that you realized, hey, our visions align?
2: I think it was, I think it was early on. I think the thing I would add also to alignment of vision is also, um, you know, somewhat of a separation of powers or an acknowledgement of expertise. Um, and, and so when you look back at the uh, original union, um, you know, I, I wasn't going to come in and say, hey, Chevy, this hi-hat needs to go here, right? Like, that's not, <laughs> what, that, that, that's not what I was needed for uh, at all. While at the same time, Um, you have to have enough of the shared, the shared vision has to be the end place where you wanna wind up, I think has to be uh, shared. Um, And then you sort of talk about how you get there because along the way, what you hope happens is that you're able to accentuate your skill set and what you do well but that whether osmotically or intentionally you actually get some bleed over from what the other pe- person or people who you are partnering with do and in and, and i know i see particularly uh, in chevy side just from the i mean she was always a business person because you know, she started she was her own you know she's going on the road and starting her own uh, company and that curriculum got accepted and, and went forward in that fashion, but to see the sort of strategic vision that she's able to lay out now without my assistance, right? If I, if I met Chevy today, I don't know that she would necessarily need to uh, partner with anyone other than saying, I've got some great ideas and going out and maybe finding finding capital. So I think that shared vision in the beginning was this idea that the, the industry, the music industry um, had various pockets that were ripe for disruption. Um, and we had put our fingers on a couple of those, and um, sort of successively uh, went one by one to see if we could do something on that front.
0: Well, I have to t- I have to go back to Chevy then and ask you this. I asked I ask every every person that where I, I, I want to pick their brain, but what does the creative process look like for you? I mean, because you're young, right? You're 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 ten years old. You know, uh, you're you're a kid, and you're starting to create your own music. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, how and what does that look like for you? I mean, I've heard so many different stories from different people that I've interviewed, right? Some people, I have to go out for a jog, it clears my mind. Some people, I'm in the shower and my, my best material comes to me while I'm showering. Um, I often say Matthew Dix, right, the writer, he said, I can't think anywhere really bunch behind, but behind the computer, right? I need to mm-hmm. be I need to be sitting there with my hands on the keyboard and the characters tell me what they want to say. And, and that's how I fly through it. That's how he creates. How do you create? What, what's your process? I mean, I think that there's a couple of happy
1: accidents that have happened. And one was that I started writing before I really had an awareness of self. And so I didn't really have, um, I didn't, nobody told me that all these conditions were supposed to be correct in order for me to be tapping into like the magic, you know? And so, I mean, without getting too mystical about it, I really feel like songs, um, visual art, ideas, it's almost like the stock exchange ticker up here, like above my head at any given point, whether I'm like on a flight or sometimes it's not when you want and you're like sitting at dinner, you know, and you're like, I should be paying attention to this person, but like it's it's above there and it's kind of always accessible. Like knock on something, I've never had writer's block because it always feels like I could just reach up and grab whatever's there. And From like, and, <laughs>
0: yeah,
1: yeah. And it might not be, Excellent, I think you kind of have to get over yourself that like, oh, everything I create is going to be brilliant and shareable. like i I've written thousands of songs that I would not present to you here being like, and this is this is a great work for me, but the other the other visual I always have is a faucet. like a, a, you kind of gotta run the water for it to get hot, you know, you can't just turn it on and be like, but it's not hot. The water's not, hot. you know, you got to You got to like let it run a little bit. You've got to be willing to have some cold water fall on you and be a little uncomfortable in that. And so for me, there is no like I line up my pencils this way and then I yeah. like snap three times and do. I mean, I love going on a run. That kind of makes I think that just generally makes me like a nicer, more relaxed person. I I do think of a lot of things when I'm driving or on planes, like, I'll think of, like, a cool word combo, but most of it is just, like, in life. I just, like, fit it in wherever I can, especially now, that's what, you know, our our process is so much dealing with developers, which also is very creative, and, you know, but it's it's a different sort of creativity, but I still... I don't know somehow the same way that I like find a way to breathe (laughs) without Mm -hmm. thinking about it too much I I always find a way to like write down like a little verse here and there like I I ended up finishing a record that's like sitting ready to be mixed and and released like amid what is ostensibly one of the busiest times of my life um and mostly it's just like don't think too hard about it just like you know, write a crummy song, write a good song, you write a lot of songs, like, you'll work it out in post, you know?
0: Well, that's it. That's really interesting how you chose to couch that. You likened it to breathing, right? Just like, I, no one tells me how to breathe, right? I just, yeah, yeah. It's so ingrained in just your, you know, your, your living process. Creating comes that naturally.
1: I think that's one reason why I love and love working with kids before they hit that self-conscious point because, you know, like drawings, like breathing to them, like, right. You know, I mean, all of these things, it doesn't occur to you until a certain age that you should do it in an effort to be perfect or in an effort to be admired or in an effort to be lauded or clapped for or anything, you know? And so I think, I mean, that's, you know, Khalid as a little one, like that would be my like advice to any, parent just based on my like limited experience of life though is like man like have them steepen in that tea like way before they're they have any chance to like be self-conscious about it and, and then it, it is it's just a natural like function of of how your brain kind of kind of works but I mean I don't know I've I've only ever lived in my own brain so I don't I don't know if that's how it works but that's how like mine seems to work you know
0: that what now what is a clock radio you you started writing on a clock radio is this accurate oh
1: <laughs> i mean you could probably find one at any good yard sale it's like the the uh sharp is a brand or like uh tascam and it had a clock like an alarm clock so i'd like have to get up for basketball practice but it also had a cassette player where you could press play and record and record at the same time so I got two of them and then would just like dub back and forth. And that was my, my early, very punk rock uh, <laughs> recording
0: process. <laughs> wow, I love that. Yeah. <laughs> so Khalid, you, you write music as well?
2: Yeah, I mean, as a, as a, certainly as a hobby, I do. Um, and oh, so- he's
0: excellent. Don't
1: let him, don't let him demure from that. Like he's, he's a brilliant lyricist.
2: As a, so, I, you know, as I, I appreciate that Chevy, but certainly as a hobby and I've doing it, been doing it for a long time and, um, you know, I really always thought it was never really told to me when I was coming up, like I said, I took a much more traditional academic route, but my favorite music growing up was, was hip hop and, and a particular um, tranche of that music was particularly um, uh, inspirational for me in um, certain and certain artists, and those tend to be the artists that could manipulate the English language at a really high level, as if every verse sort of was a speech, uh, almost. Um, and being introduced to concepts through the music earlier than being on, introduced to them in school, I can remember right now being in the um, in the eighth grade in a group called Diggable Planets rapping about Sartre and Camus, who are these um, philosophers who you don't really get introduced to maybe until your introduction philosophy uh, seminar in, a, in, in the university, in college um, or, you know, if you have a certain high school that, uh, that offers philosophy until then. Um, and so it was early during that time for me when I realized, okay, well, writing music and sort of the academic pursuit, they're not you know they're not detached from one another in the way that people you know sort of pit music especially hip hop music especially at that time early 90s mid 90s sort of pit music against sort of civilized society or against education or you know this is what people do when they're not educated they make this kind of music the artists that were inspiring to me um were some of them were college graduates um and rapped about it in their in their songs some of them you know, met in school, some of them, you know, um, in the case of some, some people I was listening to in college, some of them had uh, masters from Columbia were teaching. So there's this whole wide, and, and some of them were college dropouts and had been to, to jail for, you know, selling, for selling drugs, but also had this penchant for manipulating the English way, language in a really extraordinary way that if you met them in any other context, you wouldn't know that background about them. So what that did for me in terms of my creativity, even though it didn't extend to any kind of professional music career, it always made me want to keep writing music. Not many
0: people could do both well, but it sounds like you succeeded at that.
2: Yeah, it was, I mean, it certainly was fun. You know, it, it was able to do shows and to, you know, in college, I was, you know, had a spot on the college, you know, radio and things, not, not unlike um, people would do, it's just that was another extracurricular activity that I wanted to put on my plate. You know, some kids might have done equestrian, I made that part of it, but so was, you know, studying abroad in Japan. So was bring, being president of the student government. So was any number of the things that, you know, a lot of people who are just engaged in that time in your life are doing. It just so happened that I had this other um, thing that I really like to do.
0: Chevy, I have to ask you, uh, you're Emmy nominated, right? So mm-hmm. where are you when you hear the news that you've been nominated for an Emmy?
1: Oh, that was funny. Um, I, I was teaching actually and I just got a text. Um, so I was I think I was teaching somebody like the G Pentatonic scale and then <laughs> you get the text and then you go right back to it. Um, so, yeah, you're yeah.
0: like you're like, oh, and i an oh okay. <laughs> so, I mean listen.
1: <laughs> I, I will say the other thing, um, like once you kind of get along in and you've been in this long enough, it's like Truly by the time it had happened in this sound you know like like we had we had an event in New York um the other night and and one of my friends who came i think he's i think he's won like seventeen Emmys at this point, you know from like if you're like um producer and a technical like you do so many projects and you're doing them at a high enough level It's almost like this thing where um I don't know how to say it correctly, but like enough people that I know had been honored that way and I'd been through that process that um in a way you're kind of like Phew, I'm glad I at least got like something like that, you know, like maybe check out the I, list can, because- I, can I
2: hop in here for just a moment because both because it helps you get
1: happened. hired again, you know. So, like, yeah, that's that's the main thing.
2: If if I can hop in here for a moment, Tony, both you and I have done professional pursuits. Uh, all of us on on the call right now have had professional pursuits in our life. It's like a little, and I'm and I'm a big basketball fan now, and I'm watching the NBA finals. It's a little <laughs> bit like saying. Well, if you just play long enough on, an, on enough teams, you're going to make the NBA Finals. That ain't true. That
0: ain't <laughs> no. true. So whatever,
2: whatever, whatever this answer is that was going on, yeah. I'm, not, I'm not asking for it to be stricken from the record or anything like that. I, I just want to jump in and say that I don't, I don't know that if you've done it long enough, you're going to accidentally get nominated for an Emmy is, is, is sort of factually or sort of historically correct.
1: Correct. I will say it just feels silly being like, oh, it, you know, like you're. I, I'm not. I'm not terribly impressed with myself, especially when I look around at so many uh, friends and collaborators and everything who are, you know, deservedly a million times more lauded in that way. It it, it just is kind of like. It, but it, I'll tell you what, it was fun. Um, those things are so fun for your family um, because there's so little there's so much about what you do that's really hard to explain or that just is boring to explain or just doesn't make sense. And then that happens in like Emmy, Grammy, Academy, like those are words that, that are universal and mean something. And so I think it was, I think it was fun for don't
2: need an, uh, an external validator.
1: Exactly. Yeah. So it's just kind of like that part was kind of cool. Like I, my mom went with me to to the ceremony um, and it was on the technical side. So it was like the night before. So it's way more laid back. But my mom went with me like she's so outgoing and gregarious. She ended up ditching my table and she ended up at the Ellen table because they were winning more. Like they won everything that night, and so she was like, "Well, they're kind of they're kind of sweeping over here. I'm gonna be over here." So, it like that. it ended up being like this lovely experience that we had together. And obviously, the the people that i was on the project that I was nominated with, my friend Leanne Irvin, who brought me into it, who has won many Emmys. You know, like she and I had a great night that night. So it's it is really about like uh, the the friendship and kind of the experience. And that was that was a really fun um, stretch of time for my family too. So that was good.
2: Well, you know well, what I, I say. Write enough books, you're going to win a Pulitzer. So it's like.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, I heard that, right? I mean, that's just yeah. <laughs> No, no, what I
1: say is if you take your mom to the Emmys, she's going to ditch you for the Ellen table because they're
0: winning everything. <laughs> yeah, I think that's the important part of the story. That's what you need to remember, exactly. <laughs> I have to say, you know what? If somebody texted me that I won an Emmy, I'm checking out for the day. I'm just, I'm running. Yeah, oh, well, I did not win one.
1: I got not, it was a well, Nominated, A yes. Uh, yeah, 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 it,
0: nominated. No, that's very, very week,
1: nominated. That, that is
2: winning for humans. For humans, being nominated <laughs> for an Emmy is, is yeah. winning.
0: Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm I
1: going will say today. <laughs> a, a friend of mine, um, uh, who has been nominated for Grammys, who's a producer, who's is you know well known within like the inner of the industry, was like, well, you can breathe a sigh of relief because that's going to like hold your pay grade steady for a little while, you know. And so I think like when you're on kind of the working class and middle class side of of the entertainment industry, what those do mean are like, okay, good. Maybe I'll be able to continue working a bit longer and like maintain a certain level. So that, that part, I remember being very, very excited about. So
0: We have to talk about your latest collaboration, Elite Shout. Yes. Okay. So how did this come about? Tell me the story. Well, so Elite Shout
1: is the company that we started uh, when we were doing, um, artist development and you know where we had these these young artists so talented um great work ethics and wanted to kind of create a framework in which we could release their music and and try to help you know get their their careers you know launched um and so ultimate playlist which is the app that we're releasing um here shortly is kind of the, the results of all of that work. And like Khalid said, realizing that there's these pain points and there's these gaps in, in what is offered to artists, especially these kind of baby artists and middle-class artists and legacy artists who are, you know, basically anybody who's not a superstar, you know, we really became understanding through experience of how hard it is to break through. And I'll let, I'll let Khalid speak to how, um, it all kind of coalesced, but um, but we were really recognizing pain points. We were really interested in how gamifying uh, the listening experience could perhaps create more fans for new artists. We were uh, interested in incentivized and lean forward listening versus lean back listening, which is what happens on a lot of these monstrous playlists. Um, and just ways to kind of ensure incremental wins for artists because similar to what I was just saying you know you like you're really in the the trenches most of the time as a working class creative and so getting these boosts getting these wins getting that text you know how can we create those moments for artists um where they have a bit more autonomy about the level of success or or fans that they they accrue and yeah I'll let you kind of speak Khalid how it all how ultimate playlists kind
2: of came to be what 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 it is especially for a podcast like yours when people listen or anything in in sort of this vein that looks like success at the end there's a tendency to believe that if it's not overnight necessarily that you went from no idea to whatever the innovation is that you're seeing as the successful idea um, that has you appearing on podcasts when the fact of the matter is the, the journey to creating what we've created today uh, went through this first iteration that Chevy talked about with respect to, all right, our, you know, we've got these artists. So the more traditional, you've got artists, you want to get their songs out, what are the channels to do so? And that's, I think when we started to say, what are the channels to do so? And technology has progressed really, really fast um, on, on that front, whether it's in terms of making music yourself you know, that's gone from an era where you had to be in a studio where you can make a song in five minutes in your bedroom. You know, you, that gone went on to distribution where you had to go to the uh c- to the store to buy a CD. I remember the era when when you could press your own C D came out when I was in college. And we were like, oh, well, there's music technology there. No one's gonna have to do- there goes the labels. You can you can press your own CD. But what we discovered was that while the technology moved really quickly in some of these areas, such as um, uh, being able to make your own song, so studios haven't been obsolete, but they've been um, uh, they've been made uh, less expensive and more accessible. Distribution's been made less expensive, more accessible. One of the areas that still stuck um, was promotion, um, and, and as we were thinking about how do we promote these artists, some of the channels to do that had kind of been uh, Sale, at least in 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 our opinion, and so we went from from that, and then thinking about well, how do artists get their music out and known? And we went through a couple of different iterations of ideas. We you know we had an idea, and they were all surrounding sort of music tech. And, then, and when you asked a little bit earlier, you asked about uh, when you knew that there was sort of the direction that coalesced. I'd probably say in terms of the direction that we have now and that we're taking now, it was around the time when we looked at the you know, some of the artists that. You know, Chevy was producing and saying, well, what happens if this person who's 15 or 16 now, when they're 17 or 18 goes, I don't want to do music anymore and weren't as dedicated as you thought, Well, you put all this time and effort into something that someone who has their right to do so says that that might not be what I want to do. And so we really looked and said, what can we do in the music tech side to build structures rather than relying on specific individuals? And so one of the things early on that we thought about was, Um, And this was at the beginning of the pandemic to say, you know, maybe there are shows that allow people to come on to showcase their songwriting talent. Um, And we're able to put that out in a live stream format where people can see, vote on it, um, and maybe win prizes if their artist does well. Um, And so we went down that road. um, And, you know, we thought about a couple of different iterations. And then it was really a combination of some of the ideas that we were thinking about. And I also had a pre existing relationship. Uh, with the uh, folks at the Arizona State Lottery, who were vitally instrumental into bringing Ultimate Playlist out into the world, where they were at the same, at the same time, we were looking at, you know, how do artists promote themselves? They were looking at, well, how do we create more connectivity in the world um, via lottery, but not in a way where we're asking people to buy a lottery ticket? Now, can we do that? Because they're looking at a new landscape for lottery, where Um, mobile gaming uh, competes um, where now online sports betting largely is increasingly competing, um, where uh, different kinds of even lottery type um, offerings uh, online and mobile are are competing in their space where 25 years ago, they they weren't there. Um, Things like, I don't know if you know companies like One Country or Omaze, uh, those are giveaway um, companies that are sort of competing in that space. Um, and appealing to a younger demographic. And so they were really desirous to have ideas of how can we make an offering where we're not saying, hey, you person X, come buy a lottery ticket, but just keeping a connectivity to that demographic. And that's when we brought uh, this idea of the ultimate playlist was, was a free-to-play game where people listen to music uh, to earn uh, tickets to win money at the end of the day um and that was the original iteration that went through uh lots of refinement uh, to see what we have today
0: so this is the point in time I mean you you're running your your company uh creative company and there does it comes a point in time when you you want to develop this particular app that is I believe about to launch within the next few weeks right uh, right yeah. and so uh you realize, or through a, a business connection, you ultimately realize that there's a need uh, connected to the uh, Arizona lottery that maybe uh, something you are working on to begin with could merge and and kill two birds exactly. Don? Yeah. Very much so. Yeah.
2: Yeah, I would say yeah. that's large. I would say that's largely accurate, but it's also you know understanding that there's a, a need out there and being able. To look at the kind of things we were looking at and say, "Well, how can we tweak this to maybe to to, to fit that to fit that need?" And like you said, Kilcher. Well,
1: and I think all the way through, like we've both been very intrigued by data and the stratification of data in music has become incredibly um, intriguing, just from uh, any perspective. But I mean, at the time, I mean, pre-pandemic, there were forty thousand songs a day going to Spotify each each and every day. Um, In the midst of pandemic, that got up to 60,000. Now some figures are saying it's 80,000. And that is just going to one DSP, one streaming platform. And so we were in this very real position of looking at 17-year-old kids that put their dream into this song. And and to say to managers, now we just got to hope. You know, I mean, it was, it was just such a futile feeling thing. And so when we really looked at, um, at that, and then you look at the amount of budget that's being spent to promote songs to these kind of opaque playlists, which still have a place. I mean, we're not replacing those at all, but, but just really, um, thinking of ways we could kind of almost like take it to the people, you know, like I, I had a conversation in the midst of our early, um, early iterations of this with someone who's a a really really huge uh country artist I mean she fills arenas and I was kind of explaining what we were thinking and she looked at me and she's like I would give anything to look out at everybody who bought a hard ticket tonight and say you know the the money we were going to give to all these corporate entities to try to get this song played all the rings that I was going to go kiss to do that like I would love to just give that to the people you know and so I think um there's a real uh kind of take it to the people uh attitude and what we were what we were thinking of the whole way through of like how do we divert this money that would just go to to one powerful person and 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 also the belief I think as an artist you're always like man if people just listen to my song they'd love my song and and so you know I remember turning to clean being like if we're going to pick pay five thousand dollars for this I'd rather give one dollar to five thousand people and I bet we could come away with 250 fans like real fans I bet our odds would be higher and so those were the conversations we were having and then um it was actually right after New Year's in 2020 we met up at Dan Tana's um in West Hollywood kind of like the legendary place right next to Troubadour and I remember Klee walking in and him being like, "I think I got it. I think these two things are the same thing. Like, I think that this is like symbiotic." And he really, you know, connected those dots because I wanted to call what we were working on kind of before. I thought it should be called Playola, you know, like I wanted to be like super, like um, you know, cheeky about it or whatever. And and then he luckily brought in um, this amazing relationship and the Arizona Lottery people are so creative and they're so about musicians. They're so supportive. It, like, that's been a total dream, which nobody would have
2: yeah, thought they're that, mar- you know? Yeah, they're marketing director is a musician himself.
1: Exactly, exactly. So um, so he, uh, you know, Khalid walked in was like, no, these things, like, they go together. They fit. I think there's a way. And um, so, you know, I was really, uh, really fortunate that all of, like, the the punk rock things i wanted to do we had a we had a good uh business side on things too, where lead like put all those those uh tied all those together you know
0: so you developed this app now tell tell people what uh you know one what will they be able to do if they download the app
2: yes so this is this is where this is this is the exciting part Tony. so yeah. it's called the ultimate playlist and the idea is that you will be served 40 songs every day that you can, that you can listen to. Um, and they'll be served in a, a, it's like internet radio. You won't be able to pick the next song. You'll listen to the songs as they come. And by listening to the songs, um, you are able to win money in two different ways. One is that we have uh, daily cash raffles that are a guaranteed prize pool of $2,000 that's given away every day And 18 prizes ranging from $50 to $500. And the way people get uh, earn raffle tickets is by listening to songs. If you listen to a a certain amount of the song, you earn a ticket. If you listen to more of the song, you earn more uh, tickets. Um, Also by rating the songs on a scale of one to five, we want people to engage and tell us what they think about the songs, if you do that. Uh, you'll earn a ticket and also uh, we've got the functionality where if you like a song you can add that to your own personal apple music playlist and we're looking to add on more dsps in the future and if you take that action um, you also earn a ticket so we're trying to get incentivize people to listen to the songs to engage with the songs and that's essentially from the promotional standpoint that's what we're selling to artists we're saying this is why you want to be on this list is because people are incentivized and so all the tickets that you earn from listening to the songs are automatically entered at the end of the day for this $2,000 prize pool in these 18 prizes. Um, And every day, 18 people will win amounts between five and $500 every single solitary day. So that's one. Um, Secondly is something that we call the ultimate payout. Um, And that's the opportunity to win $20,000 each day. And the way people earn entries into that is if you listen to at least 30 seconds of half the songs each day, you'll earn one entry to the ultimate payout. If you listen to at least 30 seconds of all the songs, you'll earn a total of three. And then you take those entries and then you pick your numbers like Powerball or Mega Million style. Um, And if your numbers hit, you win $20,000. So that's much longer odds. It's not a guaranteed prize, it's the chance to win it. But um, we're really excited for people to actually win. It's not one of those prizes that's hanging out there as a straw man. We really want people to uh, Playing in large enough amounts that someone actually does win that $20,000 on a periodic basis.
0: Because money's sitting there. It needs to be won. You know, like that's <laughs> going to be really, really fun. Now, is this something that anyone will be able to download on uh, you know, their phone and their tablets, or is it unique to Arizona residents? No. Nationwide.
2: Nationwide, Android and iOS.
0: Okay, so anybody can start getting involved yeah. with the Arizona exactly right. Lottery and, and enjoying the uh, the music. What about artists? Uh, how are you drawing the artists in? Are you selecting them um, after some level of a process, or how would an artist get their song to you?
2: Yeah, so there's a couple of ways. One, we're doing we're doing outreach. Um, to, to, to people, certainly. Um, the idea that is that this is a promotional, that, that it has the opportunity to be promotional. Um, so an artist can uh, pay to be on the list, um, which historically in radio um, has been certainly frowned upon because it hasn't been transparent. Uh, Chevy alluded to it earlier with an early iteration of the name Playola. Um, it, it plays on um, the illegal practice of payola, which is you pay for songs and you tell people it's, you know, we're just playing this because uh, we love it. However, what what we're doing is promotional. It's just promotionally transparent on both sides. We're telling um, listeners, these people would love for you to listen to this song and they may have paid promotional consideration for it. At the same time, we have room to make editorial choices of songs that we want to have appear. But certainly for the most amount, we want artists, especially that mid-level artist that Chevy talks about, to use it as a tool um, to be able to say, I can understand um, a pro- my promotional budget is X, I can put a certain amount of it here, and this is what I expect in terms of uh, feedback.
1: Yeah, I think that it really is going to open up that black box of data for them as well, because when you're looking at a song, you never know whether I just like this song or do other people like this song, you know, and so getting that back and it's a really nominal fee it's going to be between 350 to 400 dollars to appear on the list um which you could not focus group something for 10 times that you know it's it's a really um economical way for artists to be really making informed decisions about their own career and and where they want to you know put put budget and then also gain real human fans you know this is this is unbottable, you know? So we, the, the people that are playing this game are in the United States. They're living, breathing humans who are probably capable of also following you on Instagram and also coming to your show and also being real life fans. And so I think that proposition um, holds such great value um, for artists of, of every level really, but, but especially that, that middle class and, and launch level, we're really excited about.
0: Sure. It's like anything else. I mean, you can put up a song on YouTube and it could go viral, right? I mean, just getting the exposure to enough people, you know, listening on the app can really light a fire. Absolutely.
2: Yeah, Yeah. Yeah, that's certainly our hope.
0: Yeah, well, I mean... S- certainly, the, I can probably ski down a list, right, of, of artists who've had that exact experience, right, that mm-hmm. one day there's some song that they, that, that they came out with that got shared uh, at the right time in the right place and life was never the same. Exactly. Uh, right, so it sounds like, you know, there, there's that opportunity in terms of getting your music out there, uh, I also imagine, you know, the executives in the A and R departments of every record company is going to be, you know, checking out your app as well for looking absolutely. for the talent. So absolutely to find
1: talent and then to test, you know, I mean it's it's a thing where right now, um, you know, before they before they invest in an artist or invest in a song, they can kind of throw it out and, you know, throw some little fish food out there and see see if people bite, you know. And and so I think it's it's gonna be really uh, fun for the kind of like entries into the game that that it provides for artists and that's exciting for us
0: oh it's almost an instant way of gauging uh right by having yes. a song they're engaging you know what kind of feedback are you getting almost instantly exactly. and, and how many people are adding it to their playlist or sharing it will there be a way to share it by the way if, if somebody likes the song and they're able to share that song with their friends or from the app or no
2: So because we don't, we don't, we play the songs natively. If you hear something on the ultimate playlist, it's not being taken from a link from someplace. So you won't be able to share it from the ultimate playlist. But what you can do, if you like the song, you can add it to your Apple Music, for example, and then share it via that, via that channel. Um, So we're, we wanna make sure that what we're doing is not, we're not competing with Spotify. We're not competing with Apple Music. It's um, an inter- internet radio uh, offering.
0: Right, so somebody is able to, you know, like you said, add that to one of uh, their other playlists um, from from your app.
2: That's correct. Uh, there's,
0: there's a mechanism from the app that allows them to put, add it to their own playlist. And then from there, they can of course always share it. That's correct. Well, when is this launching?
2: Well, we're going to get it out here at the, the end of this month. Um, we're going to be out and into um, the world. And hopefully lots of people, you know, we've got sort of a dual value proposition track going on. We've got hopefully people who want to listen to music and win money are, are, are into it. And then obviously, hopefully, um, like you said, uh, folks that are at labels, uh, A&R's managers, et cetera, hopefully uh, they see the value for their artists to promote on as well. So we're excited.
0: So, and you're coming. You're coming up. You know, soon. You'll be, you'll be launching. Uh, now, is there a cost to download the app?
2: No, it's totally free to download and always free to play. That's what will be always the case. It will never cost a player money, a listener money, to actually enter in uh, the raffles or the games.
0: Wow. So this is kind of. I mean, if you want to engage in the in the lottery, I mean, typically you have to go pay and buy a ticket. Uh, here, just by I almost say giving of your time, right? And in, in, in an enjoyable way, you get the opportunity to listen to music. Um, you can earn yourself tickets, lottery tickets, if you will. Essentially. Yeah. I mean, not not for the same lottery, but a different type of, of lottery.
2: It's a different different type of game, different type of offering. Um, and certainly one, you know, it was the, the key to this, um, and it does not work otherwise, is that it is absolutely positively free to play for the player and always will be.
0: Yeah. Well, it's exciting.
2: We're excited. We're excited.
1: Minute by minute is is monitoring um our launch schedule, but we go to production servers in probably about 4 hours. So um mm-hmm. it's it's getting real. You know, it's definitely going to be out there.
0: And again, anybody can get it whether you, you know, you have a Samsung, or you have an Apple device. I mean, it's in all the play stores. Yes? Well, that's been that's been part of the democratization of the whole thing. You know, like our um, our
1: commitment to artists is the democratization of being heard in the fact that the songs are all delivered in random order. You're never first on everybody's playlist, and you're never thirty eighth. You know, it's it shows up differently for everybody, so everybody gets a fair shot. And then the other thing on you know, so many apps do make the decision to just do iOS, but I mean, you're really serving the the top richest percent, you know, is who has iPhones, and so um, it really is important that this is available to everybody who who has any any certain level of smartphone. And I think you know, obviously, um, we have big dreams of of. Having this be a global thing, perhaps at some point, you know, and and Android is definitely the the way the world works, you know. So it's that part's been really, um, really fun and really creative and artistic to see how the developers uh, develop for both platforms too. There's a lot that you can get into on that of like the different kind of uh, creative tools at each disposal.
0: Well, I mean, it's exciting. You know, I, I wish you guys the best of luck. This is thank you. Uh, thank you. It's a it's a big moment. Uh, I think it's going to be monstrously successful. It's certainly a, a certainly quite an undertaking.
2: Absolutely, and I think the 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 most heartening thing I think for us, which also makes it the most intrepid in terms of um, putting something out there, is you want to do something new. You always want to do something novel that nobody nobody's done. But you also don't want to do anything that no one thinks can be done um, because one obviously impacts competition. But the other adap- uh, impacts opt- uh, adopt- uh, adaptation um, and adoption and believability of the product itself. Uh, so and I think we've hit that, that sweet spot, certainly when Chevy's going out and I'm going out and we're talking to music industry people. It seems like something that should have already existed but never has. Mm-hmm. We, we always take that as a uh, positive.
0: Yeah. That's great. Well, I'm I'm sorry to see our interview end. I mean, I have to say, i went over. I know the the hours flown by. Indeed. Um you guys are such creative, interesting, intelligent uh individuals and I think together you're you're you know, you're going to rule the world. Oh, that is so those thank you. Likewise from, 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 right from back at lips. you. From your lips, Tony. <laughs> <Yes. Julia. laughs> Nobody listens to me, but <laughs> I mean <laughs> that's well, not true. Nobody, you know, my opinion is <laughs> I mean if only better.
1: if only you had a you know podcast and fans. I think people like explicitly do listen to you. That's the thing.
0: <laughs> that's wonderful. Well, I I mean I think I was so impressed by you guys. Uh, and again, I think what you're doing is just a monstrous undertaking. Um and to be you know, so young, the two of you are really young to be as accomplished as you are. Uh, and, you know, to, to join together to do this. It's amazing. I'm looking forward to it. I mean, as Thank soon you. as I can, I'm going to be downloading it. I, I, it. I
1: can't wait for you to play. It. Yes. Um, it's, it's really, it really is fun. I mean, that's, that's the part where this is probably, I, I was telling my mom, I think this is my favorite creative project I've ever done. Like, the teams involved, um, obviously working with Khalid, like, we always have fun, like, dreaming up things and executing. But um, but also the lottery themselves. Like, the people that make up the lottery uh, staff is just, they're brilliant and they're yeah. creative. And they, like, they love music and they love artists. And it's just one of those... Um, just like hidden gems. I, I just feel like we just really did strike gold in getting to work with them on this. Um Absolutely. because they're so excellent at what they do and applied to this, it's um it's the way that this will be successful. If not for them, like it it doesn't it doesn't run, you know? And
0: so that part has been really, really, really fun. Well I'm always a big advocate in terms of collaboration in your industry. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. So many things, unless you're writing a novel, right? Novel's very isolating. You know, I think mm-hmm. you, you write that to yourself, it's you and the computer, but most other forms, whether it be music or film, uh, it has to be collaborative, right? There's so many yeah. hands in it along the way, uh, right? Mm-hmm. From the writer to the, the person who performs the music or or performs the role, you know, brings the paper yeah. character to life, uh, to the editor, to the engineers, to, you know, the, the visual storytellers, you know, along the way. There's so many hands in collaborating in your mm-hmm. world. Right, so there isn't there isn't just a, this person comes in and hits a home run. It's this team comes it in is. and wins together. Although,
2: although Tony, I am intrigued now about the idea of collaborations in, in books like we have in music, <laughs> like Malcolm Gladwell featuring Stephen <laughs> King, <laughs> 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 and, it, and it's like this so, it's like it's like this true story, sociological, psychological thriller at the same. Like
0: <laughs> <laughs> Hey, well, may, maybe your next app is, is books, right? People get to tell, read their, their stories in like years ago when they used to have stories um, serialized, right? Mm-hmm. It in, in like newspapers back in the day and they'd come up part one, part two, part three, and people would serial, serialize it for a year, a whole story. Maybe you'll yeah. stream up with an app that'll do that and make, make even the novelist uh, collaborate a little bit more i love one, I see, that
2: i see you want to be on the dev team <laughs> we'll keep your number
0: Come me in <laughs> i love it
2: all right we really appreciate
0: it yeah well, thank, thank you, you guys so much. thank, thank you. All all right. you very much for being here i wish yeah. you luck and um, you. i'm gonna say goodbye from everyone it, uh, it may interest you to know